welcome to the latest edition of City Parents Talk. I'm Anna Richards from City Parents, and today I'm really pleased to be joined by Melissa Hoganboom. Melissa is an award-winning science journalist. She's a filmmaker and an editor at the BBC, where she launched and leads the documentary series BBC Real. She's also the mum of two and the author of The Motherhood Complex, a book in which Melissa explores the shift in identity that takes place when women become mothers and the science behind that shift and the implications of it. Melissa, thank you so much for joining me today. Please tell us about you and in particular the time when you became a mum yourself and you, I imagine, first noticed this, this shift. Yeah, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And after my first was born, I took six months off. I felt that taking any longer might be negative for my career because I'm keen to maintain my brand as a journalist and get enough bylines out there. And I, I just felt when I was out of the workplace, I felt a bit cut off from it all because when you're off work, you, you don't get access to your emails very often. You don't sign in, you lose you lose that immediate identity that you've spent your whole time. So when I returned, I felt this complete split of identities. I felt like I was a, I was like a mum at home and journalist at work, and I didn't feel the two colliding. And I just really wondered why that was and whether there was specific reasons for that. But it wasn't until my, I had my second that I thought to look into the scientific studies that might look to explain that clash of cells, whether it was just me feeling it or whether it was actually more commonplace. And I, I found so much evidence in the literature, especially in sociology, to show that this is actually quite a common occurrence when you've got separate identities, especially if one of your identities people think of you maybe differently of how you perceive yourself and that feels quite uncomfortable so if someone sees you as mum first even though you see yourself as a journalist or author or athlete first then that feels quite uncomfortable and that's why so many people feel that clash of selves. How interesting and so talk us through some of the science and analysis that you looked at when you were preparing your book. So I, when I was looking into, especially looking into the workplace, I found that maternal identity starts creeping in when you're pregnant. And there's studies that show that women actually try and hide it because as soon as we become pregnant, workplace norms clash with the home sphere a little bit. So there's studies that show that as soon as you become pregnant, you're treated differently by colleagues, by superiors, even subtly. People tell you to take it easy, even though you might be feeling fine. Obviously, sometimes that might be valid advice, but it should come from the women themselves if they are feeling that way and then that continues the closer to birth you get and then when you come back there's lots of research that, to show that women who've had children are seen as less ambitious less dedicated less career motivated and there's actually studies that show that women tune down their ambitions because if your ambitions don't match with the situation you find yourself in it creates a, a discomfort right like you can't continue being ambitious if you're in an environment where you're given less opportunity for promotions to proceed and in the UK and in many other other countries women often go part-time when they have children because well they might want to spend time with their children but often also because workplace norms means that having a family is often incompatible with having a high-powered career if you're expected to stay in the office past 6 p.m but your kids bedtime is seven of course you're going to want to shift that priority and, that, and that's we we see that in many individualistic countries where you're kind of expected to separate these two spheres you don't see that in countries like Sweden or the Netherlands where it's expected 
that you, you put your family first a lot of the time and that you leave the office at five and no one bats an eyelid at that. Whereas here, there's this culture of presenteeism where you get applauded for staying late and for working late or doing overtime, when actually we know that doing that is not necessarily additionally productive and it contributes to stress and burnout, especially if you're then coming home to you know do childcare and more work, which is often the second shift of work. Absolutely. I think some of those issues will sound very familiar to lots of our members. This sounds like a workplace issue, quite a corporate culture issue, actually. Have you seen any companies doing it well or any examples of some positive stories about how employers perhaps help with this transition to working parenthood or perhaps are more innovative in the way they approach their working cultures and working patterns? I think when we look at cross-cultural examples, that's when you can see the, the closest shift to what you're alluding to. So, I mean, we bang on about the Nordic countries a lot, but for good reason. In Sweden, both parents have mandated time off and it's a user or loser approach. It's called parental leave and dads are given three months of that. And if they don't take it, they lose it. And what studies show is dads overwhelmingly take it and it's become a norm. And that creates interesting shifts. So even as little as spending two weeks alone with your children if if you're not the mother it actually has lasting influences on childcare going forwards and it's no surprise there's a phenomenon called the mental load and this is the thinking about everything that requires a household to function so it's thinking about the clothes the shoe sizes well-being at school school holidays childcare all those things are mentally exhausting and of course the person who tends to take the parental leave will do the most of that because they are there to do all that and they pick it up and even in couples that that consider themselves egalitarian that go into parenthood and say right we're going to split it 50 50 study shows that doesn't actually happen very quickly the work becomes gendered and predominantly women do most of the mental load but when fathers take paternity leave that actually shifts and they do more and we know that fathers often want to take paternity leave but in countries like the UK you're given statutory pay so why there's no economic incentive and because fathers tend to be the higher earners in heterosexual couples I'm talking about of course a financial situation might not allow that so it's a luxury afforded to a few and this coupled with workplace pressures that have the fathers expected to come back to work means that it it doesn't often happen but we know that it change is possible and we know it has to come from the policy level because if we're told that equality exists because dads can take paternity leave but then actually in reality the financial incentives don't match up things are not going to change but it's possible. So I think we have to keep talking about it, keep campaigning for it and show that when childcare is split early on, it creates lasting beneficial changes for both parents. And you can even see that when you're present more with your child, it creates more bonding hormones. So if fathers are spending more time with their children, they actually feel more invested. They know more, they have more emotional connections so it's beneficial for everyone not for just a workplace um, situation but for the happiness of the family and the the connectedness of the family for me it's the meal planning just constant meal planning Um, but so thinking about that mental load and that relationship with particularly fathers do you think that the pandemic might have had a positive impact on roles and responsibilities at home and are you hopeful that that might continue Yeah, very early on in the pandemic, we were both at home all the time. I had always done the meals and the meal planning even before we had children. And I was like, okay, I I do this quicker. I'm often home earlier. My job is more flexible, which is interesting because women often mold their careers to be more flexible, right? Because men are expected to stay late in a way that women are. But put that aside, 
because my husband was home more, we suddenly had a situation where I had gone from doing every single bedtime up to about 7pm to him suddenly being there for every single bedtime and for me being able to start and him being able to cook. And he started enjoying it more because he wasn't rushed. He was then also thinking about the recipes he could make. So it again ties this down to exposure and being there. If you're more present, you see the work that needs to get done. You talk it through. Otherwise, it's difficult to share a load when so much of it's invisible. So that's why that's why the mental load is so taxing, because it's not just about doing the things. It's the planning. And we know that women take this kind of planning to them everywhere. They might be in a meeting or between meetings and thinking about what meal needs to be cooked tonight. Imagine if women weren't the ones doing the majority of that it would free up so much mental space and we've definitely seen a shift one researcher who looked at the amount of childcare men were doing the pandemic did see it was going up but it was going up from a base level of much lower and so there is definitely an improvement but we have to maintain the level of flexibility that was enforced on us and so if a lot of businesses are going to a hybrid model of working where you know it's expected that there is some ability to work from home, then I think this will create positive and lasting change as long as we keep talking about it because it's very easy to fall back into gendered patterns. And if we see a situation where there is a a model of hybrid working, but people go to the office more and who's the ones that tend to adopt the flexible working, it's the women often that have to do the pickup if they're the ones that usually do it. So I think there can be a shift if we continue to talk about it. And also we have to remember that this will only happen in the case where we have the luxury to have that flexibility. So it it is a time for real change, but we have to keep an eye on it. It's not going to reverse gendered patterns that have been there for decades, but it can do if we understand the inequalities that we're faced with. Feels like quite a pivotal moment, doesn't it? I agree. And I think there's a lot of discussion about flexibility when we think about remote working, but of course it's so much more than that, isn't it? And, you know, employers needing to think about work patterns and and work models, really. What else do you think that companies need to do to get this right in the future? It's about culture, do you think, or is it more than that? I think it's about a workplace culture that recognizes that people have lives and caring responsibilities outside the home, whether it's parenthood or otherwise, and understanding that that's fine to have a life. I remember when I first came back from maternity leave after my first, there was a chickenpox outbreak and my daughter was only six months, so I didn't want her to be exposed to it. So I was like, do I take her out of childcare? Do I leave her in? And I remember feeling extremely stressed about having to even talk about this at work because I was like well this is my personal issue I shouldn't have to bother my boss with this I felt quite disempowered that I had no choice but to stay at home because I didn't have any backup childcare. and even if I did have backup childcare, you know that would be spending twice on because I was really paying for her place in her nursery which is unfeasible for most people so even sending the message that you need backup childcare is unhelpful and so I think it, it has to come from the top it has to come from a culture where we are vocal about the issues we have and we are vocal about the fact that having a family and having to take time off for emergency childcare or emergency caring situations it's not just okay it's acceptable and expected obviously if we have other options great but we just need a bit of compassion. We need to understand that there shouldn't be a division between child-free and parents. And also if it's not just on mothers and if fathers are also expected to take time off, which hasn't always been the case, then it would create less of a divide as well. I mean, there's, there's some studies that show that women 
say that they are sick rather than saying their child is sick when they've had to take time off because signaling that you're a carer immediately signals that you're less committed whether that's usually not the case and and so I think there is a chance to have real shift and it, I think it, it has to just feed into workplace structures very early on. You talked about women and mothers what do you think about the fathers what do you think needs to happen with men and the expectations and judgments that are placed on them? I think it's a tricky one because there's research that show that when women go on turn to leave, they have a motherhood penalty. And when fathers have children, they don't take leave and they get a fatherhood bonus because we don't expect fathers' careers to suffer when they have children. Whereas the gender pay gap starts in earnest when women become mothers for many, many interrelated reasons. But I think we need to to recognize and again I think it has to come from leadership levels because until you see someone in a more senior position talking about the issues they face you're not going to feel comfortable doing it yourself and so if men are the ones leaving the office early and doing the pickup and fathers report that they often want to be able to do that if it's expected and it becomes the norm then we're suddenly in a situation where it isn't either sex who's being penalized for having to jump off calls or be disrupted because we, we saw a situation where more women were interrupted in their video calls during the pandemic than men and when men were interrupted it was seen as oh cute whereas often women tried to hide it or they in some cases they were told to find childcare solutions a lot of workplaces were very understanding of course but from reading lots of comments about this that wasn't always the case and so if it's going to be an equal load, if men are equally likely to take the time when a child is sick, and if that's expected, I, th I think that's that's when the key change will happen. I remember speaking to a senior leader in my team, and he was like, well, I leave at the office at half three because I live really far away. And if I don't, then I can't get back for the childcare pickup. And the fact that he vocalized that then makes it okay for someone more junior to do the same, whether they are a man or a woman. And that's the kind of supportive environment that, that will cause lasting change when it's not just a one-off or it's not just one individual, people that are leading the top. Because if, if it's only one half of the uh, workforce that stays late and the other half doesn't, that's when we see these kind of disparities and disconnect between who's the one staying late and who's the one leaving early and why. You're so right. I remember my own experience hearing others, particularly those more senior, talking about their own personal lives and pressures immediately puts you at ease and feels like your own are acceptable and you're able to share those with, with colleagues. I think that role modelling piece is one we hear about a lot at City Parents and it's very, very powerful. We've talked through quite a few things that you feel very passionately that you want to see. What do you hope to achieve with your book? What do you want to see? What's the call to action really for women, men, employers? What do you think is the outcome you're looking for from this? Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about the workplaces. I think that's quite relevant for your listeners. But a lot of the book, I also talk about motherhood guilt and striving for perfectionism when we all know that parenthood is nothing but perfect. But we're kind of fed these ideals that if we do everything right for our children, if we prepare the right organic food, send them to the right childcare, make sure they get the school place that they need, go to the extracurricular activities to enhance their cognitive development. That is a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And it's been called intensive motherhood. It's especially prevalent in the US, but it's prevalent here in the UK as well. So that just means constantly trying to do the best for our children all the time. 
And if we're also working, we're trying to follow these ideal worker norms and these ideal mother norms at the same time. That's like two full-time jobs and it's impossible. It sets mothers up for failure. It's hugely stressful. It contributes to feeling of guilt and that we're never quite doing enough. If we understand that that isn't necessarily the best for a child. Parenthood is imperfect. Overstimulation and cognitive development isn't necessarily what our children need to get ahead. You know, they need to learn to play independently and entertain themselves. And if we're giving them the message that we need to martyr ourselves for them, then we're going to be less happy. There's a lot of research that shows parents are less happy than non-parents, especially when they first become parents. And it's no wonder that this happens when we're constantly trying to do too much to juggle. So my overall message is we need to let go of some of that perfectionism, understand why motherhood guilt occurs. It occurs because we are constantly trying to do, frankly, the impossible and let go of it. We might still feel it, but if we understand why it happens, then I'm arguing that we won't have such a, what I call a motherhood complex, where we're constantly trying to do too much for our children, which will make us less happy. If we're less happy, how can we be the best parents? So it's this constant battle, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And then find some time to look after yourself and have the self-care that we all (laughs) know we need. A lot of feedback saying there's just no time for it because I guess one more thing I'd, I'd say is women well men as well we are having children later and later and so one of the reasons the shift feels so stark and one of the reasons why we have this happiness dip is because we build up all these identities before we become parents we have our professional identity whatever hobbies we do you know our friendship circles maybe our political identity and then suddenly we have this identity parent which suddenly overrides all these previous ones and that's why the clash feels so uncomfortable for some of us because if we're suddenly putting one identity first whether or not we want to but because we feel we need to or because of societal structures make us do that's that's when we become less happy so I also want to advocate for just finding ways to put yourself first some of the time if our children see us doing that you know then the cycle won't continue if my daughter knows I like to go running in the morning or I need my reading time she will understand that mommy needs her her time to do things for herself and otherwise she's going to grow up in a scenario where she feels she has to sacrifice everything for her children and that's what I don't want to happen I want her to see me have a career and see me have my own hobbies and passions that's a very positive piece of advice to finish on Melissa so thank you so much for talking to me today I've really loved chatting through this quite knotty topic with you and I'm sure our listeners would have loved it as well so thank you if you'd like to find out more about Melissa or her book her book is available to buy now it's called The Motherhood Complex and if you'd like to find out more about City Parents you can visit us at cityparents.co.uk you can follow us on LinkedIn Twitter or Facebook and stay tuned for more from City Parents Talk coming soon thank you and goodbye